Welcome to the Daily Dose and we're reading Ruth chapter 3. That's Ruth chapter 3 and uh, we're reading from the New Living Translation. One day Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Uh, tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. And now do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. I'll do everything you say, you Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came down quietly and covered his feet and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I'm your servant Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town. For everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it is true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning, but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognise each other, for Boaz had said no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread out, spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, What happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. And she added, He gave me these six scoops of barley and said, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And Naomi said to her, Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. Well, if we were doing a uh, a teaching class for young people on purity, on relationships, on how to find a relationship and uh, prepare for marriage, or, or if we were doing a class on how to parent your your teenage children, uh, then I suspect that Ruth chapter three would not be high on our list of. Uh, of examples to turn to in, in the Bible, would it? 
Uh, there's a lot about this passage that will leave us feeling uneasy. Uh, here is Naomi and uh, uh, and Ruth. Uh, they've identified that Boaz is a, a kinsman redeemer, a family redeemer. Remember that has responsibility. Means he has responsibilities, or potential responsibilities towards Ruth to take care of her uh, as a relative of her previous husband who died uh, so that she will not be left widowed uh, and so that um, uh, the property uh, the inheritance of Marlon and Killian uh, from Elimelech will not get dissipated out will not be sold off will not be lost from the family from the clan uh, so his responsibility is to Ruth for her protection and care uh, but also to Elimelech's family for their honour and care as well. Uh, so they found all of that out and, and Ruth uh, and has been in working in Boaz's field and she's been well treated, she's been looked after, she's been cared for there. Uh, and then one day Naomi says, well, it, it's time that we looked to your permanent future. Naomi knows that things cannot carry on like this forever, that she cannot look after Ruth forever. And here seems to be an opportunity to ensure that Ruth will be looked after. Uh, we've moved into the barley season. Uh, harvesting is happening. Uh, there's been barley harvest and wheat harvest. There seems to be a further barley harvest here. So... Naomi says, at the end of the harvesting, Bowers is going to be in a celebratory mood. So, get yourself dressed up, put on your perfume, and go out to meet him. But wait until he's finished the evening meal till he's finished his celebration uh, then go and lie down next to him that doesn't sound very good does it it sounds like Naomi's encouraging Ruth to seduce to tempt Boaz Ruth will be put in her own honour and indeed her physical safety at risk here. This doesn't sound like godly advice to us, does it? And it's important as we read these narratives in scripture uh, that we recognise that the people speaking, the people acting are fallible human beings. We aren't to assume that Naomi gets everything right and perfect just because it is in Scripture. Uh, Naomi has declared that she is bitter. Uh, Naomi has, uh, with her husband Elimelech, fled from Bethlehem because of the pan, pan, uh, pan, uh, because of the famine. Have all of her words and actions been trustworthy? And reliable and we are encouraged to question that here now, you see scripture is infallible scripture is God's word it's trustworthy and true 
But because of that, it truthfully tells the accounts of people and their lives as it happened. It was Naomi writing her advice. I want to suggest that she wasn't. Does that stop God from acting with providential care to bring about his good plan? No, it doesn't stop him doing that. And so the important thing is to keep seeing what is the truth that scripture wants us to see here. And what is it that God is actually doing? So scripture wants us to see that it is truthful. It tells the story accurately. It doesn't give us a sanitised uh, version of events. It gives it warts and all. And it wants us to see that God is sovereign and that God works and we can depend on him. Does that mean that we should copy everything that Naomi does? No, this is not an example for us. And that's helpful for us, isn't it? So often I will hear people defend a plan, a cause of action, a cause of action, because it worked for someone else. I've sat and talked with people that are dating non-Christians and they will say things like, but well, well, I know someone who dated a non-Christian and that non-Christian became a Christian. It worked for them. And what we see in scripture is that God can work in those situations, but that doesn't permit us, doesn't encourage us to follow the wrong example. So tread with caution here. I think Naomi gets this wrong. And yet we see Rufia faithful and loyal to her mother-in-law, obedient to her, even where it puts her at risk and acting uh, well verse 7 Boaz finishes eating and drinking and Ruth puts the plan into operation so that um, uh, in the night Boaz wakes up and um, she's uncovered his feet so he'll get a bit cold so he'll wake up and he wakes up and there's a woman lying at his feet and he's like who, who are you what are you doing here and it's Ruth Spread the cover of your corner of your covering over me, for you are my family uh, redeemer. Now, I don't know, some people have speculated that there may even be uh, uh, a little bit of uh, cover language euphemism here that she may be inviting him to do more than simply put his blanket over her. I, I don't know. Uh, we do see euphemistic language in, in, in scripture. But certainly whatever he's been asked to do here is, is challenging and risky. Even if it is simply just, let me share your bed. Verse 10, Boaz's response. The Lord bless you, my daughter. Boaz exclaimed, you are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. Uh, why? Uh, not because she seems to set out to seduce him, note, uh, but because, he says, you, you could have remarried, you could have found somebody younger, but you've come to me. And then this promise here, my daughter, I will do what is necessary. And notice the context of that. Everybody knows that you are virtuous. 
But why is that said here? Is it partly that he is recognising that she is not up to no good, that her aim is not to seduce, that she's following her mother-in-law's instructions? I think so. Is it also that he wants to protect her virtue, her dignity? I, I think so too. Is it that he is motivated by her concern? Yes, I think so as well. All good practical lessons, I think, um, that are concerned for our brothers and sisters in Christ should come out of love for them, of recognition that they are in Christ and that therefore they are justified and that they are being sanctified. So our desire should be to do good to them, to honour and respect them and not to put them in danger. And then the beauty here of the story of the kingdom and redeemer. Boaz is willing, Boaz is able uh, to redeem. Uh, remember we've been talking about how this story points us forward to Christ. Uh, Christ is the one who is willing and able to redeem, to buy us back from sin, to give us forgiveness, to give us life. Willing and able, that's what Jesus does Boaz will do what is necessary Boaz will do what is right and good and we have a saviour who will do what is necessary for our salvation who has done what is necessary being willing to lay aside his own life if Boaz was perhaps ready to risk his own dignity or his own land, all those kinds of things. Christ was willing to lay aside his own life, to come to earth, to live among us and to die for us, so that in his death we die to sin, so that in his death our old husband is dead, so that in his resurrection we are alive and free, the imagery of Romans 7, isn't it free as the church to be the bride of Christ under his care, within his protection, under his wing? Now, there's a little bit of a twist here. Look at verse 12. While it's true that I am one of your family's redeemers, there is another man. This story is not finished yet. There is another uh, there is another scene to play out. We'll come to that uh, tomorrow. There's another person. He's slightly closer in the lineup. He's a bit more of a nearer relative to Marlon and Kilion than I am. And so, Bar says, we, we need to do things properly. We need to... See if he is willing to be your kinsman, redeemer. And if he is, marry him. Uh, this looks like this beautiful love story for me. And I think there is an element of that here. There is romance here. People that say that biblical weddings were just um, 
arranged and it's just politics and religion and that kind of thing miss that there is deep romance there is real love emerging here and it's at risk there's someone else someone else who might have a claim practical point here practical ethical application i remember uh, when I was considering a possible call into Christian ministry, that one of the questions I had to consider was, are there any outstanding obligations to my local church, to my workplace? I didn't have family at that stage, so uh, there wasn't any more. But if you are considering a calling into Christian vocation, it is right to stop and make sure there aren't outstanding obligations to your local church, to your employer, to your family. Not that those things will stop the calling, but it is important that we show faithfulness in, and integrity in our actions as we pursue that calling. But of far greater significance to all of us, I think, is this. Before Ruth could rely on Boaz as her redeemer. She had to be certain that she wasn't dependent on anyone or anything else for redemption. And there I think is the point for us. To trust Christ as saviour, as redeemer, as Lord means that I have to be able to say 100% hand on heart without a doubt that I am not looking to anyone or anything else for my salvation, for my life, for my protection, for my eternal security. I depend on no one and nothing else to meet my needs. And there's the challenge for each of us today. Can we say that? Or is there anyone or anything else that I might be allowing to have a claim on my life, a claim to my redemption, a claim to my salvation? And if there is anything else, make sure that you lay it aside, put it aside. There can be no rivals to Jesus. Uh, no rival for his love and affection. Uh, no rival for our love and affection. No rival for his power to forgive, to heal, to save and to forgive. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But it is in Christ alone that there is no condemnation. Uh, well... We will find out in chapter four whether this rival in the love story does get to make his claim. Well, let's make sure that there isn't that uncertainty, that risk in our own storyline. Let's ensure that our loyalty and our dependence is to Christ alone. So this is the end of Act 3. And remember that I've kept saying we need to look at where we are in the story. 
things are not certain, things are not squared yet, things are uncertain. And so I, I want to keep reminding us about where we are in our story. Uh, well, actually, there are three stories running here. Story one is the story of redemption. Where are we in that story? Well, uh, Jesus on the cross said it is finished. So that story in that sense is complete with its happy ending. Christ has bought our redemption, our salvation. But there are other, two other stories. Uh, there's the story of God's plan and purpose through history. And we're not at the end yet. Is there uncertainty today? Is there suffering? Is there confusion? Is there opposition? Yes, there is. Because Jesus hasn't come back. So keep looking to the end of that story. We've been told what it is. We know that it has a happy ending. We know that it is comedy, not tragedy. There's the joy of the wedding feast to look forward to. So persist in this stage of the story of the ages. And we know too that our life stories are not complete. There is still time to go. The story hasn't finished. So if you are experiencing a struggle, oppression, persecution, suffering, difficulties at this time, if you're wrestling and fighting with temptation and it doesn't seem to desist and you're tempted to give up, then remember your story isn't complete yet. And you don't know exactly how the rest of the story is going to go. And unlike that story, that big picture story of creation to new creation, we don't know all the details of how our physical life on earth, that story will finish. But we do know that the ending of the story is happy and joyful and hopeful and great. That the ending of the story is not the grave. As Chris Tomlin, it's either Chris Tomlin or Brenton Brown sings in their version of It Is Well With My Soul. I live now knowing that the sky and not the grave will be my goal. Speaking of our one day ascension raised to be with Christ for eternity. So lift your heads, lift your eyes to things that are as now not seen. I mean that Jesus is bringing our future glory, our future victory. Stick with the story. Stick with Christ.